pulled up. So we're going to be looking tonight uh, in the Gospels. Uh, we've been in the Gospels for a few weeks, kind of journeying through Scripture this year. Uh, we're looking at a passage uh, in the Gospel of Luke that's probably uh, the most familiar of all the parables that Jesus talks about. Now, uh, when I say parable, do y'all kind of know what I'm talking about? Anybody want to take a shot at kind of defining what a parable is? Anybody know? What do you think a parable is? A story. A story? It is a story in a sense. Yeah, it is kind of a story. A short like, story. A short story. Uh, the best way we could kind of describe a parable like Jesus uses in the Bible, uh, it is a story uh, that he uses to illustrate a spiritual truth. So he's using these parables, these short stories, to get home something that's far bigger, far deeper, something that's spiritual. Uh, and like I said, we're going to look at the one, uh, maybe the most well-known Parable. Anybody feel like taking a quiz and seeing if they can win on what parable I think we're talking about tonight? Anybody want to just guess? Anybody, any guessers tonight? Make sure y'all are awake. Y'all awake tonight? Yeah. Anybody want to guess? Like, anybody got a parable guess? The farmer. All right. It's not the parable of the farmer. That's a good one, though. All right. The parable that we're going to be looking at. Who's heard of the parable of the prodigal son? Who's heard about that? All right. Now, when we talk about that, the prodigal son. Uh, so, did anybody kind of know what that story, what's going on? And just kind of tell me the characters. There's the son, right? He goes off from his father. There's the father, and then there's the older brother. But tonight, uh, we're going to look at it through a little bit of a different lens. You see, for a long time, when people would look at the prodigal son, uh, they would look at the brother. They would look at the son that went off. But I want us to see... Uh, the prodigal son's story, uh, from the way Jesus was telling it. Uh, what he was putting the main emphasis on, the main character he was putting the emphasis on, as he told uh, this parable to the crowds, uh, was the merciful father, the father in the story. So we're going to kind of key in on as we look through this tonight. And that the father showed mercy and that he showed grace to his son and how he pursued him even in his mess, even in his sin, even in all of his shame and all of his guilt. And in Luke chapter 15, if you read Luke 15, that's where we're going to be tonight, the whole chapter is three different parables that Jesus tells. So Jesus uses a lot of parables throughout the Gospels, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You go to Luke chapter 15, from the very beginning, it's telling of parables. And the first parable uh, that we hear about is the par parable of the shepherd that leaves the 99 to go find the one. All right, It's this story that Jesus tells about this shepherd that had 100 sheep. One sheep went missing. He left the 99 to go find the one. And then you go down a little bit further, and then there's another parable. He tells about a woman who had 10 coins in her home, and she lost one, and she scoured all throughout the house and cleaned the entire house to find that one coin that had gone missing. And then the one we're going to really pay attention to the most tonight is the story of the parable of the prodigal son, of where this one son went off from his father and how the father wanted him to come back. The father pursued after him. So... As I kind of described those three parables, did anybody kind of notice maybe a theme there? What did you notice? They kept going back. They kept going back. All right. They went after what? The one. The one. All right. The one lost sheep. The one lost coin. And then tonight, the parable of the prodigal son, the one lost son. You see, that's what, just kind of give you a little bit of um, culture. All right. Do you all like learning about cultures? Like different parts of the world, different time periods? Or are y'all just like, I just like my culture. I don't care about any other places in the world. Maybe you are. I don't know. 
I like to learn about other cultures. Now, I specifically like to learn about, hey, how did the people back when Jesus was alive, how did they think? How did they talk? Uh, how did they understand the world around them? And, and you see the Hebrew people, because we understand, right, that Jesus wasn't uh, a white American surfer dude with flowing blonde hair. He was a dark-skinned Jewish rabbi. Hey, he lived in the Middle East. Uh, I've had a guy that's a friend of mine, a youth pastor friend of mine, that said this. This may not be politically correct, but he used to say this. He used to say Jesus probably looked like a terrorist. Uh, not probably the most you know PC thing to say, but he used to say that a lot. But Jesus probably was dark-skinned, dark-complected. He was a Jewish man, a Jewish rabbi. And the way that they taught things, get this, they didn't have punctuation in the Hebrew language. So anybody, anybody here good at like grammar, English, couple people? All right, does anybody like learning those things? Who in here does not like learning grammar, English? All right, y'all like it's pointless. All right, well, see, in the English language, because English is a very difficult language to learn, in case you didn't know. Uh, in English, you know, whenever we want to emphasize something, uh, we have punctuation marks of certain types. So if you're really excited and you want to exclaim something, what do you put at the end of the sentence? Okay. Now, roll with me on this. The Jewish people, the Hebrew language that Jesus spoke in the Bible, they had no punctuation. They didn't have periods, they didn't have commas, exclamation points. So you're like, okay, what's the point? Well, how did they get across their point if they were upset, if they were excited, if they were angry? Here's what they would do. They would repeat a theme as they were talking. They would repeat things. And as Jesus is telling these three parables to the crowds, they would understand that, hey, there's a theme throughout this. He keeps repeating the one. He's going after the one. He's going after the one person. All right, so in Luke 15, like I said, I want us to kind of think about it through the lens of how Jesus would have. So let's, 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 let's pretend that we get in a time machine tonight. All right? Anybody, would anybody want to get in a time machine and actually time travel if you could? All right, so let's pretend we got our own time machine. Uh, we, we've got the DeLorean from Back to the Future, all right? And Doc comes up to us and he says, where are we going? We're going back to roughly 30 A.D., about 2,000 years ago. Uh, we're going to go back to whenever Jesus was on earth. So why are we going back to where Jesus was on earth? Well, you see, we've got to understand the way that Jesus would have taught this parable, the way he thought, the way he talked, the way the crowd listening to it would understand things. Because they would have listened to it and heard it a lot differently than we do today. You see, they would have heard this Jewish rabbi teaching this story, not, not an Americanized version. You see, we live in what's known as uh, the West. You see, back then you have East and West. Now, I'm not just talking about here in America where we have the East Coast, which is like North Carolina, South Carolina, you know, the Atlantic Ocean. The West Coast is California. and or No. You see, there's the, the East and then there's the West, the world. And in the Eastern part of the world where Jesus lived in the Middle East, as we call it today, they thought a little differently. They talked a little differently. You say, get to the point, Barry. You're beating around the bush. All right. Well, that's what we're going to do as we look at this parable. So Luke 15, Jesus tells this parable about the prodigal son. And in Luke chapter 15, uh, starting in verse 11, it says this. It says, He also said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give to me the share of the estate I have com coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. All right. So we're going to pause there for just a second. Now, you're probably not noticing this, but Jesus starts this parable with a very dramatic entrance. You're like, what's so dramatic about this? It's just, he's telling the story. The son comes to his father and says, hey, dad, I want my share of the inheritance. Give me what I'm owed. He gives him what he's owed. What's so dramatic about that? All right, well, here's what we got to understand the way that people back then thought and understood the world around them. You see, back in Jesus' day, if a son came to his father 
his father that was still alive and said, hey, dad, I want my share of what's coming to me in the inheritance of our family. Basically, what he would have been saying back then is he said, hey, dad, I wish you were dead. That's what he's saying. It's not he's just saying, hey, dad, I'm being greedy and I want some money. He's saying, no, dad, I want you out of the picture. I'm cutting you off. I want you to be dead. That's what he would have been saying. So he comes. He says, hey, dad, give me what I'm due. And his father gives it to him. And the crowd is listening to Jesus tell this. They would have been shocked by that, that this guy had the audacity to go to his father and say, basically, hey, dad, get out of my life. I don't want you around anymore. I want you dead. And then down in verse 13, it says this. It says, not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. And here's another thing sometimes we kind of miss that's different. You see, in Jesus' day, uh, as they were hearing this, the reason that he left his father's estate, the reason why he left the family, why do you think he left the family? Why do you think he traveled off to a distant land? He didn't need them. He didn't need them anymore, for one, yeah. Well, get this. A lot of people think, well, he had the money. He's going to go travel. He's going to go be a tourist in, in faraway lands and live it up, right? Well, it wasn't so much that. You see, he would have been completely cut off not just from his father's house and from his family, but from the community. You see, in Jesus' day, you see, we kind of live, we live in a community, so to speak. But, you know, we kind of have neighbors, but our neighbors are usually, you know, a few feet, few yards down the road from us, aren't they? You know, but in Jesus' day, your neighbor would have been building their house literally on top of your house. So the community was tight-knit. You know, they took care of one another. So whenever they would have found out, because they inevitably would have found out that this guy went to his dad and said, Hey, Dad, I don't want to be a part of the family anymore. Uh, and he would have, you're basically cutting yourself off. They would say, Well, okay, guess what? You're kicked out of the community, Bubba. You, you're no longer a part of us. And here's what the Jewish people would do. You want to learn a fun Jewish word tonight? Yes. All right. It sounds like a name of like a, like a board game. But what they would do is they would hold this uh, ceremony at the edge of the community that was called the Kazaza. The Kazaza. I'm not joking. All right, you gotta say it. You gotta say it with the, some boot. Yeah, the Kazaza. All right, all right, all right. So here, here, listen to this. So the the Kazaza, that word literally means to cut off. And the people of the community. Here's what they would do. This is pretty interesting. They would take the cut off person, the person that's no longer a part of their community, to the edge of the city. And they would have a large, like, jar, a large uh, uh, kind of pottery jar there. And they would break that jar in front of the person, basically saying to them, hey, you never cross this line again. You're broken off. You're cut off from us. You're never to cross this line again and come back into our community. And if he ever tried to return, he, would be, he should expect to be ridiculed, to be hated, to be rejected by the people of the town he grew up in. But, but look at Luke chapter four, uh, 15 a little bit more. And in verse 14 it says, After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went, listen to this, then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. So he goes, get this, and lives, he lives it up, he lives in sin, he lives in debauch, he lives in foolishness, he does all these things. And he loses the money that he had gained from the inheritance. Remember, he told his father, Hey, Dad, I don't want no part of you. You're better off dead. Give me my money. I'm going to go away. I'm going to do what I want to do. He lives in sin. He lives in foolishness. And now he's broke. 
Anybody ever got like a large sum of money and just blown through it really, really quick and you're like, man, I'm broke now. Maybe you get some money for your birthday or maybe something or Christmas and you're just like, man, that money's burning a hole in my pocket. Well, his money was burning a hole in his pocket and he spent it right away on things he shouldn't have spent it on. All right, but get this. So he's broke. He can't go back to his community. He can't go back to his father and his family. So he goes to work for somebody. Now, now here's something else that's uh, kind of a little part of this story that maybe sometimes we don't catch. So... In Jesus' day, if you've read the Bible, you might have heard of these two classes of people. There was the Jewish people, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. But then there was another group of people that they didn't like, and they were called the what? Anybody know? The Gentiles. Anybody That's heard right. of Gentiles? Oh, you said it? Say a little louder. All right, so there was the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, the Jews, they didn't really want to associate with the Gentiles. They thought that they were uh, not to be around them at any time. Get this. He went to this distant land far off. He lost everything that he had. And he had to go work for this Gentile. And that would have been one of the lowest things they could have done. And not only did he have to take a job with a Gentile boss, which would have been horrible enough as it is, what is he doing? He's feeding the pigs. He's in the pig pen. Anybody, anybody got hogs at their house? My parents have hogs. All right, a couple people have hogs. All right, so anybody in here volunteering to go work in the pigs? Like all the time, like living in the pig. I'm not talking like you get to go in there for a couple hours a day. I'm saying you're living in the pig pen with the pigs. No, okay, I didn't think so. All right, so all right, so back to back to the pig pen. Back to all of this. You know, he's a Jewish person that having to feed and live with pigs, which would have been the most unclean thing because Jewish people uh, they considered pigs. They still do to this day. Pigs are unclean. They're not to be around them. They're not to eat pork. All these different things. So he had gone and lived his life in this sin. He had gone and uh, got away from his family, away from his father, lived in sin, lived in destruction. And it's ultimately led to this place in his life. And then you get down to verse 17. We're kind of just walking through the story tonight. And it says this. It says, when he came to his senses, so imagine he's sitting in the pig pen and one day he kind of has light bulb. All right, hey, when I come to my senses, it says this. How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. All right, so this, this is where it really gets kind of the heavy part of the story. So I want you to track with me on this. You see, as he's doing this, many people think he's repenting. He's trying to, but really, I think here, whenever he's doing this, this isn't so much an act of true repentance. As much as it's an act of desperation. Because he's thinking to himself, I'm desperate. I just got to go back and earn my father's love again. I got to earn his acceptance. I got to earn his favor again. But here's the truth about repentance, y'all. Here, When it comes to repentance from sin, we don't earn that. We can't work our way back to it. We can't work our way to salvation. We can't earn it by doing good works. The reality of the gospel is that we cannot work to earn the love of our heavenly father. You see, He loves you tonight. He loves you just as you are. And He will forgive, forgive you for all of your sin wherever you are and wherever you find yourself. He wants to welcome you home despite all your failures, despite all of your sins and shame. You see, God doesn't love some future, better, more cleaned up version of you. He loves you just as you are tonight. And, and here's the thing, and we're going to get into this here even more. The Father still loved the Son here in this story, just like He still loves you. And maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, hey, Barry, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the things I'm doing right now in my life. 
You don't know the people I'm hanging out with and the things we're doing when nobody's around. You don't know the things that I do at night whenever I go home and nobody's looking. You don't know what I'm doing on the weekends. You're right, I don't. God does, but here's the reality of it. God knows that, he sees that, and he still loves you. And he wants more for you. He wants better for you. If you would just turn towards him, he'd come running. And that's what we're going to see here in the next part of the passage. In verse 20 it says, So he got up, went to his father. But while the son was still a long ways off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fatted calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with the feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. All right. So back to this point. Whenever, all right, listen up, fellas. All right, so back to the beginning. Whenever he comes back to his father's house, remember what he had done. What, what had the son been doing? He was with the pigs. He, he'd been living in sin. So what do you think he was expecting whenever he came back into his hometown? Ridicule. Ridicule. He hated. He hated. Shame. He wasn't exactly expecting a parade in his honor, was he? And you might even think he might, you might even say, hey, he kind of deserves a little bit of punishment, a little bit of ridicule, because for crying out loud, he wanted his dad to be dead, basically. But before the riot can begin, before the, the people of the community can come out and try to throw, throw tomatoes at him and run him off, <coughs> hear me, this is where the thing gets good. The father comes running. He runs to the son and he welcomes him home. He welcomes him home. And what did, like I just said it, but think about it. What, what does the father do when he sees the son? Imagine he sees him coming up. What does he do? He runs. He runs towards him in his mess. And here's another thing about the culture of the Middle East, of the, uh, the people during this time. Running, get this, this might sound strange to us today to consider this, but for a man in this culture to run was a humiliating thing. Do you know this? Like, Jewish men back then did not run. They, they just didn't. It was considered humiliation if they had to like, because remember, they, they didn't exactly wear gym shorts and Nikes you see, they're wearing Jerusalem cruiser sandals, and they got long robes, so they would have to pull their robe up and show their leg off, which was not a thing they were to do, and then they would have to run. And that was considered a shameful thing back then. So get this. It's kind of the equivalent of this. I heard somebody talk about this. I was reading on this and listening to it today. Someone said it would be like this. If you saw, imagine if you went to the grocery store, or you went to Walmart tomorrow, and you saw a grown man like just out in the, out in the middle of the aisle crawling on all fours like a baby. You'd be like, what is wrong with this dude, right? This dude's messed up in the head. You got a little something going on. But that's how it was. Like, running was not something that men back then did. And this was a public affair. Get this. The people of the town would have seen it. They would have around to see all of this. But hear me now. And listen up. The kind, the loving, the compassionate father of this story. He was more than willing to be humiliated for his child that he loved. He didn't care. He was willing to take on that humiliation. He was willing to take on that for his child. Just like Jesus did for you and for me. Jesus came to us and was humiliated for our benefit. 
The book of Isaiah says it this way. I actually have this one on the screen. Isaiah 53, verse 3. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. You see, Jesus was despised. He was rejected. He was ridiculed. He was humiliated for our good, for your good, for our benefit. He didn't have to be. But whenever we were far from God, when we were stuck in sin, when we were stuck in our mess, He came and was humiliated for us. He took your sin upon Himself. He took my sin upon Himself so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be made right. And then in verse 21, if we get to it, the Son is saying this. He says, The Son said to Him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in Your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called Your Son. He's like thinking, man, if I, I'll just go back and maybe he'll let me be a hired worker. I don't even deserve to be his, his son anymore. But notice something here. As he's saying that, the father doesn't even entertain that thought. The father doesn't say, hey, yeah, come here, big boy. You owe me an apology. He doesn't do that. Now hear me, seriously. He doesn't say, yeah, I want to hear it. You messed up now. He could have, but the father doesn't. In verse 22... Here's what the father does. The father told the servants. He said, forget all that. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate. Bring out the best robe. They put a a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Uh, Bring the fatted calf. Slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast. Because the son of mine that was dead is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. That's what scripture says. And this is what God desires for you. You see, He's not holding your sin over you, expecting you to work to pay it back, for you to offer some kind of big apology. No, He's not expecting it. He's not lording your sin over top of you. He just wants you to return to Him and see the grace, to see the, 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 the love, the forgiveness, the mercy and compassion that He offers. He just wants you to come home. He wants you to come home. He wants to celebrate. He wants to celebrate with you. He wants to give you good things. And that's what happens here. Check this out. So, what, anybody, if you're paying attention, what, what did he say to, to bring out for him, to put on him? A new robe. All right, a new robe. Now, it says the best robe. So, who would have had the best robe in the house, you think? The father. The father. All right? You see, this is what God does for us. He clothes us. The Bible puts it this way, that he clothes us in his righteousness. So, so when we turn from our sin and we come back running towards the Father, He's going to put a new robe on you. He's going to put the righteousness of Jesus Christ upon you. You're no longer wearing filthy, nasty rags anymore. You're clothed in righteousness. Not because you earned that, but because of the love and compassion of the Father. So He, he gives him a new robe, and then He puts some jewelry on it. What's the jewelry He does? A ring. He puts a ring. Now the ring, check this out. Back then, the, typically families would kind of have a signet ring that was kind of a family type thing, like a family heirloom of some sort. They would wear these rings. So basically what he was doing by putting this ring on his finger is saying, hey, you're part of the family now. You're still in the family. You never left the family. And that's what Jesus is offering you and to me tonight. He's clothing us in his righteousness with new robes. He's putting that ring on our finger. We're now a part of the family of God if you trust in him. And then the fatted calf, you're like, hey, I kind of like that part. We're going to have some like some brisket, some, some T-bone steaks, some ribeyes. Yeah, you know, that sounds good. That's the part I like, right? <laughs> but this is, a, this is a celebration, the hospitality. 
to celebrate, to welcome home. This son that was gone missing, this son that he thought was dead has come home. He's been made alive again. The Bible puts it this way. It even talks about it there in this same chapter. If you go back to the parable of the lost coin, it says this about when one sinner returns. Luke 15, verse 10, it says, I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. So when you trust in Christ, if you've crossed over from death to life and put your faith in Him, there is a party going on in heaven. There is a celebration going on in heaven. So to kind of finish up tonight, you see, there is a, the Father is running towards you. And maybe for you, you're still carrying around your sin. You're still carrying around your sin tonight. You've kind of gone up and said, I'm going to do my own thing. And maybe you feel the weight of that, the shame of that. But the Father, God the Father is running towards you. He loves you just as you are. So the question is, is will you come home tonight? Are you like the prodigal? Or you've just kind of strayed off and said, hey, I'm going to do this thing on my own. Maybe you even got to the point like the prodigal where you said, man, I know I need to get right with God, but I got to do it. I got to fix myself up and work my way back to God. That's not the gospel. The gospel is God's running towards you and you meet him and you say, God, I can't clean myself up. Jesus, I can't do this. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. Or maybe you're like the older brother. We haven't even got to him yet. I'm going to read through that. The older brother, so remember, they brought out the fatted calf. He's put the robe and the ring on. They're having a celebration. And then the older brother comes in. Verse 25, it says, Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him. And your father has slaughtered the fatted calf because he had, if I can say it, because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You see, this brother, the, he was prideful. He was like, I've done all this. I've never gone off and done these things. And maybe you're like that. Maybe you're like, I never miss church. I, I'm so upright and everything. You know, I'm so good. I'm so righteous. I'm so holy. Maybe you think you're better than somebody. Maybe whenever you see somebody that's living in sin come towards Christ, you're like, they don't deserve to be forgiven. I don't know all the things that they're doing. You just cast judgment upon judgment on like this guy did. Maybe for you, you need to sit at the feet of Jesus and realize none of us really earned and deserve the forgiveness of the Father. Sometimes we can so often get so far off and forget, and mar forget to marvel at the love and the grace that God offered to you and to me. And maybe for many of you, that's you. You've kind of lost your fascination with God. I was thinking about this the other day. Are you, are, are you fascinated by God? Like, are you mesmerized by the fact that you get to know your Creator? Does it get you fired up in the mornings when you wake up that, man, I, I have a new day. I have breath in my lungs and a beating heart. And I can know the God of all creation. I think for many of you, you're probably just kind of indifferent about it. You're just kind of like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to Barlow Baptist. You know, I, I go to 
the middle school or the high school. But are you in love with Jesus? Because that's all that really matters in this life, is do you know him and do you love him? So as we kind of finish up tonight, I'm going to pray here in just a minute. And Cam's going to do a song for us here at the end. I'm going to finish with the song. And maybe you just need to marvel at the love of God. Are you marveled by the love that God has for you tonight? I know we got some fellows that got to leave right now, but just hang with me while we finish up. Or are you just kind of tolerating Jesus? Are you just kind of going through the motions? Are you just kind of doing what you have to do? Or do you genuinely love him? So as we finish up tonight, we're going to sing a song here and just kind of finish. If you want to pray where you're at, if you want to grab an adult and pray, maybe for you, you're like the prodigal. And you see, hey, I know the Father. I know that God is running towards me. And he wants that relationship with me, but I've just been putting it off, putting it off, trying to do it on my own. Maybe you need to trust in him tonight. Whatever it is, I pray you do. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this night.